So I'm not going to have a long, drawn-out introduction. You all know the Jewels far better than I do, but we appreciate their ministry and their faithfulness over many years. Uh, I appreciate, Mike, your energy that comes through in your letters and your updates and your desire to see God's work keep moving forward. And it, uh, it challenges me and pushes me to say, am I going to be that eager and um, motivated to be involved in God's work? And not saying that you're old, but there is an age gap between us. And so, uh, so uh, my hope is that you're encouraged as Mike comes and presents their ministry this morning and shares God's word with us and uh, that we will be blessed as we have been here this morning. So if you come now, thank you. Yes, he was. He was saying that I was old, but that's fine. Excuse my Chromebook. Uh, kind of awkward, but that's where I got all my notes, and so I asked permission to do that. I didn't ask you, did I? Okay. I asked Evan, and he said that was fine, so. I hear you've been going through the book of Matthew, and then one of the first questions the pastor asked me this morning, you're not preaching from Matthew 10, are you? And I said, No. You didn't preach from Matthew 2, did you? Probably did, but we're going to go back to Matthew t chapter 2, and uh, I can guarantee you, you never heard a missionary bring a message about missions from Matthew chapter 2. What's in Matthew chapter 2? You guys have studied it in Sunday school, I think, haven't you? So you've been through it, you know all the answers. Uh, we can make this really quick and be done in about five minutes, probably, but we won't. We'll... we'll uh, Fill our 45 minutes. Matthew chapter 2 talks about what? What's it talk about? What did, we just, what did we just read? I want your participation, just like in Sunday school class. Talks about the Magi. What's the theme of, the, of this portion that we just read? Yeah, it's the coming of the Messiah. It's actually uh, Matthew's version of the nativity of Jesus Christ. We actually see... The nativity at the very end of chapter 1, at where it says that Joseph named the baby Jesus. That's in past tense, and so Matthew doesn't dwell on any of the details of the nativity. But he does bring us an interesting aspect of this story that uh, makes us think about his plan. The theme of the message, or the, this, this passage for me, is that uh, it's not originally with me, but the, God is in the details. God's in all the details. Now, you know, how many times have you had speakers recently? Maybe you haven't had speakers recently other than pastor come and say, we're living in weird times, aren't we? Uh, just yesterday I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he, says, he said to me, so what do you think's coming next? <laughs> like, read the Bible, buddy. Uh, Paul said in the last days, what? Weird times are coming. That's in the original Greek. Uh, Paul was talking about what we're living right now, I believe. And uh, so when we look at Matthew chapter 2 with the idea of God being in the details, we discover some interesting facts. Uh, we saw in chapter 1 of Matthew, the, there's a long list of funny names. Sometimes we, we speed through that on our 
our Bible reading because we can't pronounce them and we don't know anything about most of them, so we just jump over them. But what do we discover in chapter 1 of Matthew is that God, that Matthew wanted to, uh, he wanted to emphasize the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, and he says that Jesus came from two very important men. Uh, they were in his lineage. The one was David. Jesus was a true son of David, and that he was of Abraham. Matthew just goes back to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam, but Matthew's point is what? That Jesus is a true Jew, comes through the line of Abraham. You remember that Abraham was promised uh, a land, a seed, and a blessing, and the blessing was that the Savior would come through his lineage. And then also David was promised that he would have a king on the throne eternally. Now, if you go to Israel today and look for the king, you're probably going to be disappointed because he's not there yet. But we know that the true Messiah had to be a true Jew, and he had to be of the line of David. We also realize in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph received some bad news. His, his girlfriend, his fiancée was pregnant. And you remember the story that he was contemplating a divorce because in the day when the, the marriages were basically arranged, uh, he was in a situation that he would actually have to go through a divorce in order to separate from this young girl. And as he pondered these things, uh, he did what he does best in these two chapters of the Gospels is that of this gospel is that he is sleeping and God speaks to him in a dream. You'll notice that Joseph never says anything in the New Testament. He always receives instruction from God in dreams, and then what he receives, he immediately takes care of and does. So Joseph receives the news from God that Mary is actually pregnant with the Son of God. So we want to begin at verse 1, and we want to uh, work through these verses as part of the message. And then at the very end, I'd like to relate some of this to what's going on with us as well as what's going on worldwide. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus was born where? He was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? You've already talked through this in Sunday school class. And no star is going to be awarded here this morning either. But uh, Bethlehem means, yeah, house of bread. Good. And Jesus was the living bread that was born in a city called the house of bread. I thought that was pretty interesting. There's another uh, important fact about Bethlehem. It was the city of David. It was where David was raised. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Judea, what's that? It's like the region that encompassed Jerusalem. He was born in the days of Herod the king. Who a Herod was? It's because there's at least a couple different Herods in the New Testament. You remember who this was? Herod the, yes, Herod the Great. Uh, we always think of Herod as being a cruel, evil man, and indeed, in the end, he was. He was also a. Uh, he was not a real king. He was elected by, or he was put in place by the Roman Senate. Uh, he, 
he craved power and recognition. He was a great builder, and he was a good leader as far as he had a good relationship with Rome, even through two different Caesars, uh, proving that he was a good politician. He is known for building one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was the temple in Jerusalem. He restored the temple in Jerusalem that was brought to Jesus' attention at one point in time, Matthew chapter 24, where the disciples looked at that temple and said, look at this building, isn't it beautiful? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that in the future not one stone will be left on another. So Jesus used that temple to tell the future. He also, you remember that the, uh, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it again in three days. Or Yeah, three days, and the, the religious leaders mistook that for the actual temple, but Jesus was talking about his body. Herod was, he craved power. He was uh, very jealous of his position. He was so jealous that he actually murdered his favorite wife. Imagine what he did to his unfavorite wives. But he, he killed his favorite wife because he thought that she was going to take his throne. And also two of his sons he killed. He had... Uh, 300 religious leaders in Jerusalem murdered, and his death wish was that they that the that his family would bring uh, important religious leaders to Jerusalem upon his death. Not only important, but well loved Jews, and have them uh, assassinated at his death, so that there would be weeping and wailing in Jerusalem. He knew that not many would weep over his death. But it says that wise men came from the east. Who are these guys? It says, actually says magi. Magi means, it means magi. I mean, what, what are the magi? Who are the magi? They came from the east. We, we, we know from, from uh, history that they were probably astrologers. Uh, fortune tellers and they came from either Babylon from Persia or from uh, Arabia by the gifts that they brought isn't it interesting that these men came to worship the newborn king um, they apparently had studied uh, texts that they had access to, they studied the stars, and in some way they deduced that there had been born an important uh, baby, a baby that would be king, and they had made their journey to see this baby. Apparently the, the star that led them, we'll get into that in just a minute, uh, led them to the region of Jerusalem, and they assumed that uh, this king must have been born in the palace in Jerusalem, so they went to see Herod. But we'll get there in just a minute. Verse 2. Matthew says this. They came saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. In studying this passage, you know, uh, we've seen his star in the east. I look east and I see a star that's going to take me to the west. No, because west of Babylon or Persia or Arabia, 
Jerusalem's west of there. So apparently they were in the east when they saw his star rise. And what was this star? There's all kinds of speculation about that. Some believe it was a, a conjunction of planets. Some believe it was a supernova. Uh, some believe that it was a, a miracle given by God for this exact purpose. That's the position that I'm going to take, is that God supernaturally led these men from the east to the west with this supernatural appearance because like I said it seems to disappear as they get near to to the place where Jesus was born and they end up going to Jerusalem and speaking with Herod they came they saw the star and they came to worship the newborn king Matthew 3 chapter 2 verse 3 when Herod the king had heard these things he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was that? Because Herod was known at this stage in his life. Now, look, get this. Herod died in 4 B.C. B.C. means what? Before Christ. Wait a second. Herod died before Jesus was born, but he's... Something's wrong here. What's wrong? Herod died before... Jesus was born, but Jesus was born here, and it's maybe a year after Jesus' birth. So somebody got something wrong. Remember that the, uh, the cal- our, our current day calendar is off a few years. They estimated back to when they thought Christ was born, and they made a mistake by about maybe up to six or seven years. So Herod ended up dying in 4 B.C., This happened right around the last year of his life, probably while Mary and Joseph were in Egypt. Uh, Herod ended up dying. They were in Egypt for about a year, apparently. But at this point in, in this story, they had come to Herod, and they had spoken to him about the king, and he he became troubled. Why was that? He was the king of the Jews. Remember verse one. And these men come out of nowhere. How many were there? We don't know. We assume that there were three because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But some believe that there was quite a troop. I don't know if any of you have seen the, the new Aladdin. Do you remember when Prince Ali comes into town? Have you seen the new Aladdin? You all said, okay, thank you, Evan. Uh, we're alone in this. You guys can Google it when you get home. I think it's on Amazon Prime or something like that. But anyway, uh, when Prince Ali comes into town, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, it's like, whoa. How did they make Will Smith do all that stuff? I don't know. But uh, some believe that when the wise men or these magi came into Jerusalem, there was quite a commotion because there were a lot of them. And they come in and they're looking for the new king of the Jews. And Herod's like, excuse me? So the Jews automatically became nervous because uh, things happened when Herod got mad. All Jerusalem was concerned about this. Now get this, apparently all Jerusalem knew what they were there for. They come to worship the newborn king. Verse 4 says, and when he gathered all the chief priests 
and scribes of the people together. He demanded of them where the Christ should be born. Interesting that he used the word the Christ. Herod was not a Jew. He was an Edomite, which means he came from the line of Esau. But he wanted to please the Jews, thus he built the beautiful temple there in Jerusalem. He also wanted to please the Romans, so he allowed the Roman, the Roman dwellers of Jerusalem to set up temples throughout the city as well. But here he says, where is this Christ going to be born? What does the word Christ mean? Say it louder because I'm half deaf in this air con- what? Messiah, exactly. It's the, it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The Messiah means what? The what? Yes, the anointed one. The one sent by God to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, Jesus was his name, which means Jehovah saves, and his title was Christ the Messiah. And here Herod says, where is this Christ is going to be born? This is Herod the Great. He's only mentioned nine times, two of those posthumously. And he was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel. And so he's very concerned at this stage of the game. He calls together the chief priests and the scribes. The scribes were men that were... Uh, that had basically memorized the law of God. They were the teachers of the law. They took the, the word of God and taught it to the people. The chief priests were the, the, the religious leaders. These, these two groups should have been looking for, and supposedly were looking for, the Messiah. They knew where the Messiah was to be born, like what it says in verse 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Interesting here because they take part of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 which says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me Uh, that is to be ruler in Israel, but they left off the last phrase of that prophecy, which says this, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. We know, looking back on the story, that Matthew's telling the story of the birth of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. He was born as a baby in Bethlehem, and yet he was in existence before that. He had no beginning and no ending. The scribes left off the last phrase and actually put on a phrase coming from 2 Samuel, talking about David being the shepherd of Israel. Verse 7 of chapter 2 of Matthew says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. Now notice that Herod calls the wise men privately. Why was that? He had other plans. He wanted this private meeting with the, with the Magi to understand exactly where this child was, was born. And he said, he, it says he inquired of them diligently. He wanted to know how old this baby was. 
We know that later on in this chapter, he sends soldiers to murder the babies in Bethlehem. Some versions say the boy babies. Uh, it's like Portuguese where if you have a group of people, you would have a masculine uh, pronoun there that could include all the babies. If you think about it, you have a baby wrapped in a blanket or a baby wearing clothes of the time that in that time. They might have killed all the babies two years old and under. Some believe that there was a lot of babies. Some believe that there weren't that many because Bethlehem at that point in time was small. But nonetheless, it was a massacre. Herod wanted to know specifically when these men had discovered this baby so that he could come and worship him too. Verse 8, it says this, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Other intentions. Verse 9, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. It's apparently appearing again to lead them to Bethlehem until it came and stood over the young where the young child was verse 10 and when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding great joy they were on a mission they'd come a long way they had uh, that mission was to come and worship the new king and when they saw the star again they were overjoyed some believe that uh, the star literally went before them like uh, the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament when God used the column of fire and the pillar of cloud to lead the Jews throughout the, the 40 years in the wilderness. Some believe that the glory actually appeared over the child's head and there were, therefore we see these old paintings of the the holy nativity and we see a halo over Jesus around Jesus sometimes it's on Mary and Joseph as well some believe that maybe the glory appeared over the child and even actually illuminated him to some degree the Bible doesn't say that but the, the star brought them great joy interesting these pagan astrologers are overjoyed that they're going to be able to worship the king of the Jews. However, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the chief priest ignored this revelation. It's, it's weird. They've been looking for the Messiah. They tell Herod where the baby is going to be born. They've, they see the, the great tumult that's apparently happened when these wise men come to town, and yet they don't go to see the child. John 1.12 says what? He came unto his own and his own received him not. But to, men, to, to those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. A lot of times we read through the stories quickly because I feel like us, at least annually, uh, at our family, we read the Christmas story on Christmas morning. You know, the kids are, in the olden days, the kids were chomping at the bit to open presents and, and see what they got. And here, let's read the, let's read the Christmas story. Oh, Dad, do we have to? Yes, this is what it's all about, kids. So be quiet and be happy. 
so we read the Christmas story. So every year we know what's going to happen. We know uh, that John the Baptist comes first. His, his birth is miraculous. We know that the angel appears to Mary. We know that it then tells Joseph about the birth. And we know that the shepherds are going to come. We know that uh, the wise men come. And sometimes we get those facts mixed up, don't we? We have Christmas cards where we have... Uh, the wise men appearing at the manger. The manger's made out of wood and full of hay, and there's animals all over the place, and we're like, oh, it's the Christmas story. But when we really studied it out, probably didn't happen that way. No Christmas lights. No Christmas sales at the uh, local uh, Walmart in Jerusalem that day. No Christmas carols. They were probably, Mary and Joseph were probably in a cave, and then here uh, we see the wise men arriving to present their gifts to the child. They presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we probably don't even know what frankincense and myrrh are. We just, you know, hey, Google. You don't have Google I here, do you? I can't reach the internet right now. Check your modem or router connection and try again. See that? I can't reach the internet right now, so I have to try check my modem. Uh, sorry, Google. Uh, so... We, we know that there were scents, perfumes. Some think that uh, they were used to illustrate that Jesus would suffer because they're bitter and that they use these things to embalm bodies. Mm, we don't know that. We believe that these gifts were probably used by Mary and Joseph as they escaped for their lives from Herod, who came to kill the baby, went to Egypt, probably were there for about a year, and they had enough uh, money to be able to live for that year as they uh, used these gifts that were presented by the wise men. But you'll notice that in this passage, uh, just a second here. Verse 11 and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Interesting, every time the child is mentioned or Jesus is mentioned with Mary, he always comes first. Interesting fact. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. God's in the details, isn't he? This story is, to us, it's a beloved story. When we stop and think about it, it doesn't make much sense. Here's a jealous king in his last months of life. History says that he was very sick at this point in time. He was in much pain. And for that reason, he was more uh, apt to explode in rage than be anything but nasty. He was a very evil man in his last days. And yet, God allowed three pagan astrologers, I said three, he allowed pagan astrologers to come and alert this man to the birth of an infant. My daughter just had a baby on Wednesday, right? Wednesday? 
and she's tiny. She's only like this big. I should have brought her this morning as an illustration. But she's really tiny, and she's helpful, help, helpless in certain ways. When she wants milk, she can become annoying because she wakes up all during the night and cries for, for her sustenance. Imagine a helpless Jesus on whom depends the, the future of the universe and the commotion that went on in Jerusalem when they came and said, we want to worship the new king. Does that make sense to you? It seemed like God made a mistake there, doesn't it? I mean, the star blinked out for a little while, and these wise men are like, well, we got here to Jerusalem. The king must be in Jerusalem. And so they go, and they, they alert Herod, the most powerful man in the region, to the birth of a child that could be easily wiped out. Yet God takes over, and Jesus is saved. God's in the details. He knows where we are right now. My pastor friend yesterday, what do you think is going to happen next? <laughs> Check the Bible out. Be ready for what God has for you. We don't have to worry about what, the, what God has for the world, do we? We know that our world is where we are, and we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to share our faith when we can. About almost a year ago now, I received an invitation to go to a new work. We'd been in Sotokaba for 22 years and had no intentions of moving, and we got an invitation to go to an in-home uh, Bible study, an in-home church service, and we got to the, the town, which is about an hour west of where we are, and I was able to share the gospel that night, and after the service, the, the missionary friend, a, a Brazilian missionary friend of mine came to me and said, well, now you know what it's going to be like when you guys come and work with us. I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to move. I, I don't like moving. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like every two years we move, but I really don't like it. And um, yet God began to work through that conversation toward... Uh, a move. I basically avoided the guy for like four months, and then he finally sent me an urgent message. Said, "Hey, I really want to talk to you, so you know, let's talk." I'm like, "I don't want to. I don't want to." So we ended up uh, realizing that it was God's will, and we ended up moving to our new city. And about a week or two later, whatever's happening right now hit. The whole world came to a halt, and we became. Uh, what do they call it when you're in your house and you're captive? No, not captive. Kidnapped. What? It, what? Quarantine. Yeah, quarantine. But I'm, it's more like you're you're kidnapped or you're you're being held hostage. Hostage. That's what I wanted. I knew the Portuguese word, but uh, but anyway, um, we were hostages. We were in our own home, and if you walked outside your door without a mask on, people would look at you like. Have you noticed that? It's kind of weird. That's uh, six eight months ago. If you walked into a store with a mask on, people would be like. Now, if you walk in without one, it's like, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? But anyway, uh, so we're, our goal was to help Hojinelli and Bachi, who are the missionaries, the Brazilian missionaries in this town, with a new church plant in their city. City's 110,000, and uh, so it's smaller than where we were living, but it's, uh, it only has uh, one Baptist church that we know of, and so 
our goal was to help begin a new work. And then, as President Trump says, the China virus hit, and here we are. We're still waiting for the, the opportunity to do that. But what's happened over the past few months has been quite interesting. Uh, Tatui is the music capital of Latin America. So if you play violin or whatever, you want to come down and visit us? Uh, is that a violin or is that a viola? Violin? Uh, yeah. You're welcome to come. It'd be fun. you got to come down. Do a Bible cup. Bring Paul with you. You too. Uh, anyway, we, we made our move. Uh, we came from a church of 60 to 70 to a church of 25. It's really small work. It's been in existence for about eight years. And uh, it, it's rural workers. They work on sod farm. Sod is a big industry in that town. Uh, it's a very rural setting. And most of the, all of the people that are in our church are related, are working in the sod industry. They make virtually no money. Uh, in their economy, they make 1,200 Brazilian, no, 1,200 uh, hay ice, which is about 240 bucks U.S. Uh, so they don't have much. They, 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 they have a house that's provided by the owner of the sod industry, uh, but they they don't have usually don't have cars, don't have much of anything. And yet, the Lord's done a great work, and these people are, are faithful. They've been faithful. What happened in our situation, I don't know about here, but the first few days of this thing that's going on now is like, man, if I even look at somebody, I'm going to catch something. And so we tried to stay away, and yet as time went by, uh, a few weeks after doing, trying to do church on WhatsApp, I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not, WhatsApp, we tried to do that. It didn't. It was it was fine, but it was kind of weird. So we ended up deciding to have church at one of the sod farm homes. We asked a couple if they'd be willing, and they said yes. So we started having church like three weeks after the thing started. And so for the last uh, few months, we've been having church uh, Sunday morning. We we kind of uh, de decided to do some things a little bit differently, so that usually what was happening was. Uh, my friend would go get a lot of people in his van. He'd bring them to church. And then after church, he would take them home. And then he would go in the evening and get them and come back. And then he'd take them back home and come back. He was, like, coming and going a lot on Sundays. We ended up deciding to have one service on Sunday, then having a meal on the, the grounds, and then spending time together in the afternoon. So it ended up being more uh, logical, more practical, and uh, we've been doing it that way. For the, in fact, they're probably having lunch right now. Yeah, right now it's 5 to 1 there in the afternoon, so they're probably having their afternoon meal. Something that uh, has happened since we moved as well is that the Lord, this ministry has been a very poor ministry. They've been able to pay rent on a building for these past few years. They've been renting a storefront to have their, their services. But, uh, and that basically was their mindset, that we'll have to pay rent for the rest of the church's existence because people that are only making 240 bucks a month, they don't have a lot to spend on rent. And so that was the, 
that was pretty much the goal. But the Lord has, has risen up, or no, that, that's, that didn't come out right. The Lord has provided funds over the past few weeks for us to be able to purchase a piece of land and to, to begin a, a construction of a church. Uh, something interesting happened in, in the process is that here in Michigan, probably the church has to be recognized by the government, right? You have to have your, whatever they call it, your government registration. Uh, the church there had existed for eight years with nothing. They were just meeting on a regular basis. They had no, they weren't recognized by the government. And uh, one of the things that I, I said when I, we went there, I said, we need to get the church organized so that the government recognizes us as, a, as an institution. Uh, the, the church had no bank account. The money was going into the pastor's bank account, and then he was paying the bills and things like that. So just the day before yesterday, he sent me a, a, a note with a picture of the official registry that the government has actually recognized the church as an institution now. So we are able to open a bank account, and the Lord has, has provided um, a range of gifts. I, I sent out a plea for help. And we got several gifts right off the bat. One guy sent us 25 bucks, and I was like, whoa, that's, yeah, translated into Brazilian money. That will be like 125 bucks, so that's a good start. Well, then the next one that came in was like five grand. I'm like, ooh, that was pretty cool. So within a short period of time, the Lord brought in uh, 20 grand for us, 20 grand U.S., which is 150,000 Brazilian money and uh, enough to purchase a piece of property to build our, our lot. You're not as excited about it as we were at the time. We were like, ah! Ah! 150000 what are you talking about? That's great. But anyway, um, sorry. Are we on TV? We're probably not. Uh, well, what happened, this is even neater a part of the story is that uh, a while later, after we began getting all this money, uh, the, my pastor friend, Hojinetti, got in a motorcycle accident. He had on uh, a car. He ended up going, rolling over the hood and hurting his knee and um, virtually totaling his motorcycle. And uh, he needed financial help to get the motorcycle fixed. And pastors in the area helped him out quite a bit. And uh, he ended up needing some money for, for, for some doctor's visits. And he said he was at home one day, and all of a sudden, somebody knocked at the front door, and he goes, and there's this couple of guys standing there, and they're like, I'm a Baptist pastor from town here, and I'd be wondering if, I heard that you were hurt, and I was wondering if I could come in and pray with you. And he's like, okay. And so he invited the two guys in, and they, they ended up talking for like an hour or so, and, and toward the end, as they got up to leave, the one guy said, can we pray with you specifically about this? And he said, sure. So they ended up praying. And then he said, I'd also like to help you uh, financially. So he, gave, he said, I want to give you $700, $700, 700 Brazilian. And he's like, what? And then his friend says, and I want to give another 500 And he's like, what? I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, you don't have to say anything. He said, in fact, you know, I've seen how God's provided over the years. And, and my church needed to build a, a, a place. And, and I had a piece of land. And... And I decided to give that land to the church because uh, I thought, if God's given this to me, and I, he, I don't need to necessarily worry about the future, God's going to take care of me, and I gave my land to, to the church to build. And what happened was, God used that meeting in Hojinelli's life to say, you know, you've got a nice-sized piece of land. You could split that right down the middle, give half to the church, 
and you could still have a good good chunk of land with your house on it, things like that. And so that's what he did. He ended up saying, Pastor, this this visit helped me to see that God can take care of us, and I want to donate half of my land to the church. So now we have this problem of we've got a piece of land for free, and we got 150 grand to spend. What are we going to do with that? We decided that we're going to take the whole church to Disney. But then they shut Disney down, so we had to cancel that plan. No, I was just kidding. We weren't going to take the church to Disney. But what, what God has done, too, is he put us in touch with a missions agency in Florida. And uh, this missions agency does interesting work. They, ended up, they, they, they take volunteer construction people, and they make trips around the world. They come to a place. They end up putting up a, a, a building in two weeks. And uh, they pay for like three quarters of the construction. I'm like, whoa, I better get in touch with these people, you know. So I call, I, I send them an email. And I said, here's our situation. I understand that you don't buy land for people, but would you buy a piece of land for us? That's when we still needed land. The guy's like, no. Could you call me, please? I'm like, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. So uh, I ended up calling the guy, and I said, here's our situation. He's like, do you know who this is? And I said, No. Who is this? He says, this is Ron Spears. Do you remember my son, Kenny? Your wife used to babysit for him back in the 80s. I'm like, what? Okay, Ron, can you, can you buy a land for us? <laughs> but anyway, uh, is, that, is God in the details or what? I mean, I'm in Brazil. I'm calling the states Tampa, Florida. Ron Spears used to live in Lake Orion, and now he's the president of this mission in Tampa, Florida? What? How does that work out? Oh, I don't know. Why did God send those three wise men? Oh, wait, however many there were to tell Herod that a baby had been born that's going to take his place. Don't know. God's in the details. So where do we go from here? We're going to go back to Brazil, Lord willing, on the 22nd of this month and work on two things, uh, getting the piece of land ready for construction as well as the new church plant. We want to do that. Still, that's going to be on the other side of town. Um, and so pray for those things, that God will continue to be in, in, in uh, the details. And I noticed something kind of cool here this morning, Pastor. There's like twice as many people there as there were last time we were here. Last time we were like, oh, my. I think there was like 25, and now there's like 50. I'm pretty good at math sometimes. But that's, that's exciting for us to see the churches. I mean, especially in these days, uh, to see more people coming to church, that's good. So pray for us, and, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you in touch of, as what God's going to do and is doing. And What's your name again? Bob says, Did you, have you, ever, you ought to write a book. And I was like, I have written a book. I've written four books. They're on Amazon, uh, but they're on Portuguese, so... You don't have to use Google Translator to read them, but anyway. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll write some more about that, and we'll, let, we'll keep you in touch as to what God does. Pastor, did you want to close in prayer, or do you want me to do that? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for how you uh, take care of us and how you know all of our heart's concerns. Uh, you know how to, to help us. You are with us. Even when things seem weird and, and troubling, we know that you are in the details and that you care for us. 
And, Father, we know that that doesn't necessarily mean we're always going to have it easy or that it's going to be always peaceful or happy, but we always know that we can trust you and we can rest on your uh, sovereignty. We thank you so much for the people that are here this morning and how attentive they've been, and I thank you that you have allowed us to share this precious story from your word that helps us to understand that you are in control and you've not lost control. You're still on your throne, and we can, we can trust you. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go from here to look for those people around us with whom we might share this precious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.